You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Hello and welcome into another edition of Three Ma. I am John Kurtz, joined by Derek Young and Cole Manbeck. We have the entire crew here to react to a wild one in Bramlage as K-State wins in overtime once again. They have set the NCAA record for overtime wins in a season with seven and did so in a game in which they led by 25 about midway through the second half. Uh, so there's a lot to break down, as you might imagine, from this one. But the bottom line is the K-State's NCAA tournament chances are still alive as they head to Cincinnati this weekend. Um, if you are going to be at the game at Cincinnati or just sitting in front of your TV, make sure that you are pre-gaming with our friends at Holiday Distillery. All right? They've got 360 vodka. They've got Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon couple of different ways for you to get your drink on before and after the game in celebration uh we hope you may have needed a couple there in the second half of the game on monday uh you know it was five o'clock somewhere at about uh 7 30 last night to eight o'clock but hey all's well that ends well and uh, i'm sure the folks at holiday distillery are very happy of the way that things went last night great k-state folks who support us please support them um man i mean we were going through it last night for sure building a 25 point lead thinking hey for once this is a game where you can just kind of kick back put it on cruise control actually i had to run to the grocery store at halftime uh i will give you this little anecdote I had to run to the grocery store at halftime and like knew that i was going to miss a part of the second half but i was like sitting there watching it on my phone i felt comfortable enough to be like yeah you know i can take a little bit off here because they're up by 22 at halftime i don't need to to sweat this too much and then i actually got really worried when i saw west virginia come out and stick a three and and get the first five points of the second half jerome tang takes a timeout and i was like oh gosh i'm gonna have to worry about this aren't i but they got back up by 25 and so that put me into a total like relaxed state where i was like okay you know don't need to worry about this one and then of course you did as uh, raekwon battle kirk risa came back hitting everything k-state Got tight, as Jerome Tang said after the game, melted down at a stretch of four turnovers and five possessions at one point, and uh, all of a sudden found themselves down by a couple of possessions late in the game. But I don't know, man. I, I guess I'll give it to you, D.Y. You were there. Like, where where do you want to start in in breaking down this one? Because there's, there's the angle of, hey, they've been playing a lot better, shooting it a lot better. They had their best, uh, almost their best three-point performance in Big 12 history. That backed up with the BYU game is very encouraging. They showed the fortitude to actually send the game to overtime and then win it in overtime yet again after that kind of a meltdown in the second half. But then in between there, you have the stretch of really bad basketball that obviously almost started into a a historic night in a bad way. So a lot of different directions we could go to start this. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this game. I guess first I would say that if, if... You know, the meltdown collapse notwithstanding, it still feels like this team has kind of turned a, a leaf a little bit, turned a corner in my mind, because I thought they'd played pretty well against BYU. Um, man, I, even in some of the recent losses, it felt like even though they were a player too short, there was there were still some good signs. Like, even before these last couple of games, I thought I was beginning to see some things from day-to-day aims that we kind of needed to see, and now you're kind of seeing results the last two games against both BYU and West Virginia. And I think that's a big, big deal. It's probably not been covered enough. Um, so the, there's a part of me that still says, despite that epic collapse, that this team is almost playing, you know, for m- multiple games in a row here, uh, the some of their best basketball, which is hard to say because they also, at the same time, almost probably had their most devastating losses. Definitely the drum tank arrow. I mean, it would have been up there for school history in terms of just how it unfolded, right? You had a 25-point lead evaporate in 13 minutes of game time. That's pretty stunning. Actually, less than that. Probably about 11 minutes. They had to come back because they actually lost the lead so much that it ended up being a four-point deficit that they had to climb back and, and come back from and to send it into overtime. So, I, you know, you led by 22 at halftime and you went into overtime. 
But if you take the way that, you know, the four point deficit you had, you got outscored by 26 points in 13 minutes. I mean, that's really hard to do. Uh, some of that was, I think West Virginia found something and Kent State didn't make the appropriate adjustment to defensively. And that was, they were getting some of the switches they wanted. Uh, and because of that, I don't think that's where Raekwon Battles' points came from. I think his points came from uh, that dude was just hitting some unreal shots. And sometimes that will happen, especially with how cold West Virginia was in a first half, kind of a little averages kind of thing for them behind the three-point line. But what was probably shouldn't happen was the way that Kirk Creason was able to just take advantage of switches or, you know, uh, as good as Tyler Berry was on the offensive end, he, he had a hard time guarding Kirk Creason too. So I, I think the Raekwon battle stuff was well defended and he was just freaking on fire. But the Kirk Creasa stuff were the stuff that he was getting, uh, that needed to be adjusted to and defended at some point. It never was. And that's probably why he did get to overtime. So I, I guess that's a summary of how I view things like your first half, uh, one of your best halves of basketball and, Maybe a sign that not only are you turning the corner, you you may be becoming the shooting team that your head coach thought she'd be at some point, or at least close to it. I mean, going back to the Oklahoma game, Tyler Perry's averaging what, almost twenty points a game on thirty seven percent from the three point line. So he's definitely turned a corner in terms of how he's scoring and shooting the basketball. So those are the things that instantly come to my mind. I think there's a player or two that still kind of needs fixed to an extent, and. Another thing that needs fixed is probably can this team focus for 40 minutes? Like it's, it's kind of been a thing that they've kind of battled through this year. The only times they had were probably against Kansas, maybe against Baylor, but even then you still feel like you had some lapses in those games as well. Not as big as this one. So, <laughs> excuse me, 40, 40 minute focus. And because it, it is a focus thing for me, especially when you just see, this isn't the first time that the defense has collapsed in the second half. Look, I mean, I'll give I'll give West Virginia some credit there. I mean, they made some really challenging shots. I mean, Raekwon Battle had a hand in his face. I don't even know how he could see the rim a couple Pretty of different times um, when he took attempts. I mean, David Gasson one time couldn't have been any closer to him with a hand right in his face, and he, he made a step-back three with him on him. Kaluma was on him one time. I mean, Raekwon Battle made some really tough shots, and yeah, he came into the game 31% for three on the season, and they held him in check in the first half. He was two of eight from the floor. He had four points at halftime. And then in the second half, he goes six of seven from three between overtime in the second half, has 24 points. Kerr Creasa and him combined in the second half went eight of eight from three. But then in overtime, Raekwon Battle goes two of three from beyond the arc, but Kerr Creasa goes 0 of four, which was a big thing. He missed a couple of open looks. Uh, certainly for uh, for West Virginia. So credit to them. They made some shots. It takes a lot of things to go wrong to blow a 25-point lead in that matter of time, and uh, it can't happen regardless of the plays they're making. And you look at it, it was a flurry of different things. It was West Virginia making shots. It was multiple times when K-State had a chance to put a stop to it. Dave Gasson misses a front end of a one-and-one. One. Will McNair misses a front end of the one-and-one. One. Cam Carter misses a dunk in transition. It felt like a lot of different things snowballed on them where they could have maybe put a stop to the bleeding and took some of the momentum away from West Virginia, but they weren't able to do it. And then obviously uh, come from behind when it certainly didn't feel good with a minute, two, minute, three left on the clock to come from down four to get it to overtime. Tyler Perry buries two huge free throws and Kirk Creasa misses the shot at the end of regulation. And we now know, obviously, Jerome Tang 12-0 and in overtime in his two years in Manhattan and set the NCAA record for wins and overtime in a single season with seven this year as K-State is 7-0 and in OT games. So, look, I, I, to D.Y.'s point, like if I look at it from an offensive standpoint, because the complaints for most of the season have been around K-State's offense and been centered around that, K-State now in the last two games, each of the last two games, 1.22 points per possession. That's the fourth and the fifth best marks of the entire season. It's the best points per possession efficiencies that K-State has had in each of their last 21 contests, and that's in their last two games. Their effective field goal percentages have been among the highest that they've had this season as well. The effort yesterday, that was the fifth highest effective field goal percentage of the season against West Virginia. Against BYU on Saturday, their 64.6, or I think it was 63.5 effective field goal percentage, was their second best behind only South Dakota State 
in terms of effective field goal percentage, which takes into account three point, two pointers, et cetera. And so, and then also their free throw rate. That was a big thing last night. It was a big thing against BYU. K-State had a free throw rate of 59.3 against West Virginia. They had a 64.6 free throw rate against BYU, which was their second best mark of their season. They've had two of their four highest free throw rates of their seasons or of the season and their last two games. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> the offense is getting better. And that was, it was something that, you know, the defense struggled in the second half last night, but I think we all wanted to see the offense improve. Over the last two games, they've assisted on 38 of their 54 field goal makes. That's a 70% assist rate. The 74% assist rate against BYU was the second highest assist rate of the season. The 67% against West Virginia was a top five assist rate for the Wildcats this season. And then DYU mentioned it, Tyler Perry's last eight games, 20 points per game, 26 of 70 from three, 37%, 44 of 103 from the floor, 43%, 45 of 50 from the free throw line, 90%. And four assists per game. He scored 23 or more points in four of his last eight games. And in his last two games, 10 of 18 from three, 56%, 11 of 20 from the floor, 55%, 13 of 15 from the free throw line, and 11 assists. This is the Tyler Perry that we all hoped we were going to see. And he's put together a heck of a stretch over the last eight games. And the thing that's extra encouraging to me about the offense is that two things. One, Derek already mentioned that Day-Day Ames has been playing more. He got 24 minutes in the game yesterday and that can allow Tyler Perry to, you know, have some pressure taken off of him, perhaps get some different looks um, playing off the ball more, which is, you know, we've been talking about that all year long. But the other thing is listening to Tang in his post-game press conference, and he didn't go into detail on this, I assume, because you know, uh, competitive advantages. You don't want to give away exactly what it is, but he was talking about how the assistant coaches have done a good job, uh, I think the timestamp was maybe since the Texas game, of simplifying a couple of things. You know, I mean, think back to like the Chiefs season, right? And all the offensive struggles and frustration that went on there. And the narrative that came out of that was after the game against Oakland, they really like simplified the offense. They they started running everything just through the three playmakers and then had more success. And he mentioned that. Like we have, the, the assistant coaches did a good job of finding a couple of things that we could really simplify and hone in on because it's too late in the season. We don't we don't have time to change much. So just tweaking something to make something more simple is what we could do. And I'm just paraphrasing all of this here. And it it was not something that he spent a ton of time on, but I took that to mean, hey, maybe this isn't just them getting red hot and knocking in a bunch of shots. Now, Day Day had what three threes last night. You're you're probably not going to get that uh, every single night from a guy who's like 25 percent from three. Um, and that's that's kind of what he is right now. So there's a little bit of that. But I was more encouraged by the fact that he said, hey, we actually have done a little bit of something here. And, and that gives me some faith that this could carry through the rest of the season. Last three, you know, the interesting thing, it's a small sample size still, John, but last nine games for Day Day, he's eight of 16 from three, 50%. So, he, I mean, it's still 16 threes isn't a ton but he seems to be shooting it more confidently. You remember his field goal percentage at one point this year was like 24, 25% at one point. He's got that at like 31, 32% now. So he looks like he's playing more confident. I thought against BYU, he had a couple really nice drive, kickouts, passing opportunities. So I think he's playing uh, playing much better, certainly as well. Um, the other thing I'll mention about the offense, guys, is coming off the bench, David Gasson and Will McNair. In the last two games, those two have combined to score 42 points in the, in the two games, and they've made 18 of six, 18 of 27 shots from the floor for those two, which is 67%. You're getting that off the bench, uh, something where they, they struggled to get bench points uh, for much of the season. So those two have played really well in the last two games. The only other thing I will say about the West Virginia game in specifics is it's easy to remember the meltdown and the collapse. And look, I was in Bramlage. I was as frustrated as anybody that it had occurred. And I was, you know, if they lost that game. That would have been brutal. And one of the biggest collapses that I've seen in, in K-State basketball history. But it's easy to forget that all the great effort it took and the success to build that lead and how great they were for about 30 minutes of that game to get the lead out to 25 it's frustrating that it came down to that because it would have been great to get a blowout win when you look at the, the metrics and the analytics and boost your net profile a little bit and get a lift from winning a game by 20-plus. But the bottom line is they didn't hurt or help their resume really last night. They sat at 73 in the NCAA net rankings going into the game and after the game. Today, as we woke up, they're 73 in the net. So 
the big games that really matter. They just had to escape this one, win it. The big games that matter are at Cincinnati and then Iowa State and Bramlage. And if you win those two games, you pick up two quad one wins and your net profile will lift as well. And you'll have five quad one victories, potentially six, if one of the non-con wins in Providence or Villanova can get to a quad one. So um, obviously I don't foresee winning in Lawrence. And and if you did end up being West Virginia by 20 last night, uh, you would have felt better about this team. But I think net-wise, they probably would have moved up to three spots at most. They might not have moved up a ton. Yeah, well, part of my frustration is, well, there are there are a number of things. Um, okay, we, we need to take a break. Let me break, and I'll give you a couple of my frustrations about that, on that topic, not being able to hold the blowout and just where they're at right now uh, in general. But um, look, no one... No one is ever going to be frustrated with Home Field Apparel. So get to homefieldapparel.com, get all your great K-State gear, 40-plus designs there that I promise will leave you very happy and satisfied like a blowout victory at Bramage Coliseum. Uh, lots of old-school logos. It's cool stuff. It's what the kids are wearing. We promise. Uh, trust us. We're a bunch of dudes in our 30s. We know exactly what is hip and cool, and that is Home Field Apparel. 15% off your first order if you use promo code 3MA23. You can also browse 100-plus other schools that they have there. So make sure you get over to homefieldapparel.com and we are back in just a moment. We appreciate you supporting KC Sports Network by listening to our podcast. You have helped us become the highest ranked Chiefs podcast network in 2022 and 2023. And don't forget about our daily Substack newsletter, the best written analysis you can find on the Chiefs straight to your inbox every day. kcsn.substack.com We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so I guess there are two things I would point out here. One is just on the topic of what you were discussing there, the net. It was, you know, the frustration is, look, seven overtime wins, it's a cool stat to be able to say you have the most overtime wins in a season, and it's a great trait for the team to have to be able to respond that way every time. That Because a lot of times that they've wound up in overtime, it has not been K-State, the team that has, you know, made the big push to get it to overtime. It's been these types of situations Feels like a lot where that like games that you probably should win and they've kind of let slip away. Great trade for the team to have, but it has hurt them. You know, had you only gone to overtime in three of these games instead of seven, you know, North Alabama, Oral Roberts, uh, West Virginia, you're actually taking care of business, beating these teams by double digits. Then the cumulative effect of that on the net and just how they would have been perceived throughout the season, it, it probably would be significantly different as far as the NCAA tournament goes. Not that they wouldn't still be on the bubble, but it would help. And so some of it to me is just like this collective frustration, just like, God, like, again, do this again. And the other part is, I also just, I mean, I felt like they got kind of lucky. Now, you should be getting a little bit of home cooking at home, especially if you have a a pretty good home court atmosphere, which is a whole different topic that we'll have to discuss here at some point. Um, but I, I felt like they got, they got a couple of bailouts. I mean, you know, there was a, 
Cole, you talked about how they were defending Creesa or somebody, maybe that was Derek, about how they were defending Creesa for a lot of the, the second half of the game. There was a point there where Will McNair got switched out on Kirk Creesa, and I was thinking, well, this isn't good. This isn't good. And sure enough, man, I mean, he, I thought, absolutely fouled him from beyond the arc. They didn't call it. They just swallowed the whistle there, which, thank you. I don't know if that was – Jeb was doing the game last night, Cole, right? Do I, do I have Jeb to thank for that one? I'm uh, I'm honestly not sure. But. <clears throat> Jeb, Jeb Harkness, uh, Terry Oglesby, and, uh, gosh, Kip Kessinger on the – All right, well, shout out to those guys, man. Excellent work because they swallowed the whistle there. And the other one, Cole, I know we talked about this last night and you couldn't remember what it was being there. I Part of the reason that I remember it is because they spent some time on the broadcast, but – it was in regulation. I feel like a couple minutes left in regulation. Uh, Kaluma, you know, it was not like a malicious play by him or like going to make a play, but there there was a ball that I can't remember if it got tipped up in the air or if it was fighting for a rebound, but he definitely, I mean, he just, his body flew into Creesa, knocked him down, and they also swallowed the whistle there, and it would have been his fifth foul. He would have been fouled out, and I thought, man, I, I can't believe they didn't call that because it's one of those plays where it's just sort of a basketball play. Both guys are going for the ball, but with as much contact as occurred, I think you see it called nine times out of ten. So there there were just a couple moments where I thought, man, I mean, <laughs> they needed every last little bit of that, and they, they got some home cooking uh, to to win that game. So, hey, don't apologize for it, whatever. I mean, you think about the game in Ames and some of the things that happened down the stretch there in a game that you lost. You hope that some of that's going to come back around right. for you. Um, that's just what left me at the end of the game. I was just like, I mean, they, they should have lost. <laughs> they should have lost. Yeah, that's yeah. That was my feeling after the game. The only thing I would say is like that's more of a timing thing too, because Kansas State got some absolutely brutal whistles in the first half. Cam Carter had a guy jump clear on top of him, just like we had in the last game with David Gasson and a guy jump on top of him against BYU. No call, but that was in the second half, so it seemed a little bit more significant. This was in the first half, so it seems less significant, less critical, especially because you have such a decisive lead. But you had Cam Carter, I think, was right around the rim. Uh, uh, the basket near the tunnel in the first half and they had a guy jump on top of him and get a new call and then the the travel that was on arthur kaluma that was right in front of the bench was not a travel so you can go back and point to a number of things officials wise just because of the timing doesn't mean that kansas state got lucky though because it, it, you know if those first half first half whistles are addressed appropriately then you're maybe you're not in that same situation uh, let me let me jump in i would just say this how many times have we come on here and bitched about officials being a huge reason why they lost this year? We've done it a bunch, and it's because of calls that have happened in clutch moments, and I'm sure Texas Tech fans, after we complained about Joe Toussaint, would come back and say, well, hey, there was X, Y, and Z in the first half, and Iowa State yep. fans in the game at Ames would come back and say, hey, there was X, Y, and Z in the first half. So in, in the interest of fairness, I, I think that definitely needed to be said uh, here on this podcast, particularly by by these three people. So, well, sorry, Cole. Well, well uh, let me just jump in here. I mean, look, Arthur Kaluma played 26 minutes, 27 minutes in the game. And let's not forget that while he may have gotten away with his fifth foul earlier, the second foul on him was bullshit when they called a charge on him when he's making a move to the basket with his making a move to shoot and they call a charge with the defender moving. He didn't extend his arm out. That's that's a bad call. And then his fourth foul easily could have been let go by Kip Kissinger when he knocks a ball out of bounds. I don't even know if he hit the guy at all. I mean, from my angle, he didn't. But they call a reach in there on a defensive rebound that West Virginia got. So his second and fourth foul, I mean, are very questionable calls. And so as a result of that, he sits on the bench for much of that game. So, I mean, West Virginia had 25 fouls. K-State had 22. And the 25 to 22 differential is because West Virginia was fouling K-State purposely down the stretch as well. So, I mean, I know K-State was fouling them too on purpose with uh, not letting them get a three. But it was pretty close overall. I didn't Kaluma got called for two travels that weren't travels in my mind. And there was a time where West Virginia guy drove, took three steps and they didn't call it. And David Gasson got called for a foul. So we could nitpick calls all day at the end of the day. Like, you know, I don't know. Yesterday didn't really stick out like the Will McNair from my seat. I was like, I couldn't believe they didn't call the foul on Kirk Kreese shooting there. But to be fair, they did end up getting fouled on that possession and still shot two free throws. So. Would have been three, though, right? Would have been three. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd take. Now, it's fortune, like John alluded to, because instead of three Kirk Kreese of free throws, and it was two free throws with the worst free throw shooter as well. So, the, the and he missed one, maybe both. So, I, I could see it. The McNair foul, 
is probably the more blatant one, but I and I also think this is true, and I don't completely hate it. I think the ref swallowed his whistle because Kreisa tried to sell it so hard. Yeah, yeah, he's known for known for that. Yeah, I, I will say like Will McNair's defense at the end of regulation on the switch on Kirk Kreisa was pretty darn good. He, uh, he, he did, but I was also but I was also just waiting for that moment where it was like. And Kreisa was pretty smart with that. And I mean, I know it's something that he does a lot, but you also, I mean, Will McNair's done that a lot lately, like ran out on a three point shooter in the corner and just run him over. Right. Like you, you feel yeah. that you can get him to do that. So yeah. that's, but yes, I agree. He did but, by the way, that game did highlight to me how annoying and how easy to hate Kirk Kreisa is. Like that guy was a douche. What is what a. What did I say about him when he entered the transfer portal, guys? I watched a lot of Arizona basketball. I mean, that guy, he was running his mouth all game. Raekwon Battle was really running his mouth. I can't believe, like, I was surprised he didn't get a T that one time. Battle probably had a reason to, because his was mostly when he got hot. And if I got it working like that, too, I'm probably feeling myself a little bit. But Carissa was, like, also when they were terrible and, like, down, like, yeah. 3 he was like literally clapping in Tyler Perry's face that one possession. I'm like, you're losing by almost thirty, dude. Let yeah. me let me just be devil's advocate here and point out. I guess I'm Mountaineer John today, but it worked. It worked. They no, I don't. Energy. They were down by twenty five. They got themselves back into the game. K State got tight and started making mistakes. I'm I not know, saying I they, that, they, like, that was stuff. I would I would disagree because Chris was doing that in the first half. Well, but way he that's just what he does, and, it, and eventually they needed some energy, and it, it would be easy to just shut down when you're down by 25, and he kept it lively. He kept it very energetic for them, and eventually they, they caught fire. So, like, I, I don't know. I'm not going to – it didn't really bother me. I was like, hey, man, they're punking K-State in the second half. Like, I, they should be running their mouths a lot. I would be too. Uh, so I don't know. That's That one didn't really bother me. I did – I wanted to bring up two two things about how – things unfolded during the the meltdown one is did jerome tang get a little bit greedy trying to steal some minutes with taj manning when they had a big lead there that was one thing i know they got brought up in the discord after the game and and the other was uh waiting too long perhaps to use a timeout after using a timeout almost immediately in the second half when it when it got to 17 from 22 I believe it was a two-point game by the next time that there was a timeout used. Like, could could that have been either of those situations been handled a little bit differently? Yeah, yeah it could have. Um, I, I guess I'll just use his logic here. Jarrell Colbert was not playing well. Dave Gasson can't play close to forty minutes because he's so injured right now. It's not even funny. And and obviously, Will McNair. Another big guy. Those big guys, you can't play for like extended minutes and expect them to be effective. And when Kaluma gets that third or fourth foul, you have to. You, you can't go all four guards all the time either, right? Especially, and it's hard to when you don't have Kaluma. Kaluma getting in foul trouble probably sidelining or hurts this team a lot. At some point, you have to go to someone else. Jarrell Colbert was not having a good night. Um, you feel like you get a buy. A few minutes from Taj, I don't know. Like that's where probably Kaluma's foul trouble is what dictated that. I don't think it was just like, oh, I'm trying to give guys breathers. It was Kaluma's foul trouble that I think dictated that, and the fact that the other guys were not good enough either. Or um, you have to give them breaks. You get. I mean, if you're going to play David Gasol 38 minutes, you're not going to get a good 38 minutes. If you're going to try to play Will McNear 35 minutes, you're not going to get a good 35 minutes. So all that comes into play. So I think you get backed into a corner a little bit especially at the four spot when you're trying to navigate that stamina and, and effectiveness for those guys, but also have Arthur Kaluma in foul trouble and can't play him and put him on the floor. I think he get back into a little bit of a quarter. So I guess I'll buy him a little bit of that. Plus, like I think Taj Manning is far from the issue of why that game got away from them. So I'm not going to like point to that either. Uh, secondly, the, the timeout thing, I'm with you. What? Here's the thing, you only had two left, and you still took it with four or five minutes, and then you only have one timeout for the last four minutes. Uh, if you think you could still use it that way, I wouldn't have been against it, but I, again, I understand the logic. The problem was probably having to call a timeout 52 seconds in. 
Yeah, probably probably should have called timeout earlier to stem the tide, get a you know draw something up, get a basket, try to counter the momentum. So I I can get on board with that. The Taj Manning thing. Look, he came into the game when it was seventy to forty eight with less than eleven minutes left in the game. You you know you expect to be able to put some of your bench guys in at that time span and buy a couple of minutes. How many times have we talked about? the minutes that these front front guys are playing on this team, the starters and everyone. And you're like, so Dave Gasson came off a little bit hobbled. Gimpy, we know he's playing banged up at one point. Kaluma had four fouls. Colbert got his fourth foul at one point. Like they, they had to put, you know, another guy in. And, and really, I mean, other people were pointing this out in the group text to me and I just didn't agree with it. Like they basically played their eight man rotation except for two minutes with Taj Manning. And so I didn't feel like it was in terms of a substitution pattern that, was anything to do with it when Taj Manning exited the game it was still 70 to 54 with nine minutes or so left in the game so I didn't I didn't have an issue with that rotation or sub like they're trying to buy a couple minutes yeah and look, look at it this way at one point David Gasson left the game injured at one point Tyler Perry left the game injured draw Colbert in foul trouble Arthur Kaluma in foul trouble like you're going to have to extend that rotation a little bit or you're going to get very bad minutes from someone else right that's how it's it's trying to use a fresh body that sees the Not that Taj Mang is a difference maker for this team, but we've seen him kind of give a good one or two minutes spurt in Big 12 play before too. So it's kind of a thing where you're, you're almost forced into it because of the circumstances. Well, and, and when they were up by 20 plus in the second half, I turned to my dad. I said, this would be a great opportunity if they can hold on to this lead and like eight, nine minutes left, start to play like Buddy Rich and some of those other guys on the bench and, and just save some minutes on the legs of Tyler Perry, Cam Carter, et cetera. And so I was thinking that same thing. And unfortunately, the, the lead went away and they ended up having to play Carter 43, Perry 41 minutes. Yeah, which is which is another part of the frustration. I mean, look, you know, and I'll be I mean, like, I'm, I was kind of in my Chiefs mode where by the end of the game, I was just like so angry <laughs> at what had transpired. It was hard to find a lot of joy in the win. I've I've cooled off now and have a better perspective on it now but yeah that was a part of the frustration like this should have been an opportunity to just get everybody a little bit of an exhale and instead it was the complete and total opposite now that's probably mitigated a bit by the fact that you were playing on monday and you've got an extra couple of days here to rest i do think that that helps i would also point out i mean rj rj jones played nine minutes I was surprised to go down and look at the box score and see he only hit one shot. I thought he knocked down a couple threes, but it was just one, so one of four for for RJ. Yeah, and, and to be honest, like I, the, as as good as I'm feeling about Day Day, and I'm not out on RJ. I'm not saying he won't become something, but like he's lost on the defensive end quite a bit, and and he really hurts you on the defensive end. So does Day Day to an extent too. Day Day's problem is not so much guarding guys, but getting through screens. Um, but RJ, he just doesn't have the, the lateral quickness or the foot speed right now to really hang and guard anyone on the perimeter. So, I mean, I know people are like, oh, yeah, you know, play RJ. And I'm not saying not to, and or, or say, man, we should play more or he's so good. I would just like temper expectations a little bit because, you know, he's not shooting well. He did make a three last night, but he's not shooting it well and he's not a really great defender. And now he moved the ball a little bit better last night. So he's taking steps but he's really far, far, far from where they need him to be to be able to trust them for extended minutes on the court. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, putting Taj May out there. Sometimes it's, I mean, it, it can be just as, even though he has a bright future and I'm, I'm still excited for his potential, it, sometimes it's just as scary to put R.J. Jones out there on the floor right now. Well, another another comment from the Discord last night, Cole, was that uh, R.J. Jones is like the, the most ready to shoot and fire guy since uh since Fred Brown. So yeah, <laughs> I will say, yeah, we joke about that on press row quite a bit this year. Like I, I we don't remember a time where RJ Jones was entered the game and he didn't shoot the ball the first time he touched it. Yeah. He's got a quick release. He's ready to fire. And uh there was one last night that he caught he didn't have a clean catch on the release. No. And so that I think that impacted his second attempt from three from the corner but uh yeah he's I still think he can be a really good player certainly it's hard when you're playing five seven minutes and you go into a game cold and you, you only get a you know a couple minutes at a time to go in there and knock down those shots so I, I think when he starts getting more consistent time which he will have to earn uh I think he'll be a more consistent shooter I just I think I think his development needs to be less like skill oriented really and more like 
athleticism oriented. Uh, he, he's got to be able to guard on the perimeter right now. He can't He's because he's not physically able to stay with guys. Cole, actually, the last guy I can remember being that ready to put it up was Ron Freeman. Oh, man. Every time, every time Ron Freeman got in the game, man, he was ready to let it go. Either drive to the basket and fling it up there or take some step back three. Like, man, that guy, that guy was all about it. Bringing back uh, some names to the past. I, well, these are all like guys that I loved, man. Ron Freeman cracked me up. I love that guy. Uh, let's have, let, let's hope RJ has a little brighter future in Manhattan. You, you speak about RJ's quick release, and it really is lightning fast, and, and that'll be a good tool to have moving forward. I, I, I'll i say this. I wish I could put RJ Jones's release on Arthur Kaluma's shot. Yeah, he's got <laughs> Kaluma's. Kaluma's party Art- takes three times as long to get off, man. And and that might and that might be underselling it. Like that dude winds up like like he's uh, Tadeo, it's right. Hideo Nomo, man. It's Hideo Nomo out there. You know, the wind up takes ten seconds. Yeah, I mean, he can get shots off still a little bit because of his size. Even if there are guarding him a little tight, but man, he needs a lot of separation to get off a shot just because it takes so long for him to release it. And it's the same at the free throw line. If you guys haven't noticed, like that dude, and like it's almost like who's the guy that takes long at the free throw line in the NBA? Is it Giannis that everyone makes fun of that takes forever? Like Arthur Kaluma takes forever in between free throws. I'm admittedly a little paranoid that a ref's going to call him for the 10th second, you know, call on the free throw at times. But, you know, whatever it takes, man, he's shooting 79% of career best from the foul line. He's been nails at the no, free throw line. No, he's not really criticizing the. No, I know. Um, or the result, but his free throw regiment is so like deliberate. All right. We got to get this in. And I do want to touch very briefly. We'll probably have another opportunity later this week to, to get more in depth on obviously Cincinnati, but also uh, the tournament prognosis right now, where they're, where they're sitting on the bubble, which seems to be a little bit better. Um, but you know, what's generating a lot of conversation is what Jerome Tang said after the game last night uh, about the, the fans, particularly the students. Now I was, listening on the radio uh so i heard his his initial exchange with wyatt and he he gave basically the same message that he did that's going to be in this quote that i'm about to read you from the post-game press conference and and yes look i realize i was i was not at the game six o'clock on a monday is is brutal like i've got two events going on at work this week and had to work ahead on things yesterday i just couldn't do it um otherwise i definitely would have but tang seems to understand that aspect of it he's more talking about the students here so here's his quote, and this came in the uh, opening statement of the press conference. It was not from a question. He, he went out of his way to do it, so clearly it was something that um, was important to him and on his mind. said, thankful for the win, thankful for our students who showed up. Got to have a talk with professors who have exams on game nights and see if we can do something about that. Now, that part I, I fully support. I mean, everybody can get behind that, dude. Like, chill on the test. Uh, but I just want to put a challenge. I just want to put a challenge out to our students. They text me, they hit me on Instagram and ask me to repost things and come by their sororities and fraternities and have dinner and speak. We show up, we do that, and when we have a home game, I need them to show up. Uh, so, not the first time that Jerome Tang has, has called out fans, students in particular, for not showing up the way that he would want them to. It, it's also not the first time just going after fans in general with the the chant. You know, I mean, he's never been afraid to, to challenge the fans and generally with positive results, uh, especially last year when, when they won at the clip that they did. Um, and there was even a little, you know, he was a little perturbed by the chant coming back for a brief moment during the KU game earlier this year. You know, I, I guess I would just say if it works, I sure hope it works. Maybe there's a preemptive strike here where they know that spring break is going to be when the Iowa state game occurs. And so you're trying to keep students there. I think you're not going to have much of a problem getting students to show up for that game based on the fact that it is going to be a huge one for the NCAA tournament hopes and uh, the Iowa State rivalry, everything that happened earlier this year, all that that's developed. And I am I understand that, ten, like, I bristled at a lot of these things along the way and then looked back and been like, okay, like, I like that he got rid of the chant. That was good. We probably needed to hear that sort of thing. And in general, he's just a demanding guy. And he is right. They do a lot of stuff. They go show up at the fraternity basketball tournament or the fraternity dinners and chapter or those sorts of things like they do they do a lot of that so i understand what he's saying i just the part that i don't love about it is the the conversation that it then drums up and the perception of some people that 
this is out of the ordinary for anywhere outside of Duke, Kentucky, Kansas. I don't even know. I feel like North Carolina has had attendance problems at times over the years. Um, if you're not the elite of the elite when you've lost seven of nine and you're playing a six o'clock game on a Monday against the last place team in the league, attendance is generally not going to be as good. And so I just, I cringe at what I knew was going to be coming online in that conversation because I don't think it's fair to label K-State fans as as different from like 90% of the fan bases that are out there right now, especially in 2024 when it's it's a little bit harder to draw people out to a game anyway. So that's kind of where I come down, but I know that I, I seem to be <laughs> on a bit of an, an island here on, on this show with that take. So I'll let you guys uh, speak your piece. I mean, I, I hate when it becomes a central part of the conversation as well. So I'm kind of with you on that, on what it creates. Um, maybe giving Kansas State more of a negative perception than what it deserves fan base wise. I totally get that. My thing is, is like, I, and I generally don't really draw a line in the sand or, or pick a side on these types of debates. You guys know that I'm, I'm definitely usually kind of in the middle, but I thought because of how bad it was on Monday night. And you can mention the six o'clock Monday tip and that's fine, but that really doesn't apply to students as much. And the, the, the crowds for like student ticket holders and alums was generally, generally fine last night. It was just how bad the students was. And I said it, I've said it before already in the last, you know, 12, 24 hours. It's that like, it was one of the worst student crowds that I've seen um, for a conference game, not on break. And I don't think it's close since 2017. I mean, most of those student crowds when Bruce Weber was missing three NCAA tournaments in a row were better than the one last night. So that's kind of stunning to me, especially coming off a team that's still technically an NCAA tournament hunt, had the success that did that they did last year. I mean, I'd feel differently if they had a like a habit of losing, but they're 17 and 11. Um, and they haven't missed an NCAA tournament yet. So to, it just feels like Knowing what we know of how student attendance has been in the past, even for teams that had no shot at the NCAA tournament, I was pretty stunned at how little that it was. So, But I also think you're kind of rolling the dice and putting yourself in a tenuous spot to bring that to the forefront after you lose a 25-point lead at the same time. So that part... I get maybe the timing, but I don't think he gives a shit. To be quite honest, he wants a lot of people in the in no. He doesn't he, care. He want, yeah, he wants a lot of people there when they play Iowa State because you know one they know that it could be a playing game for the NCAA tournament. Two, it's the first day of spring break, so you kind of maybe do have to convince some to stick around an extra day, or at least put that thought in their head a week, week and a half in advance. They plan for that. And three, if you don't fill it up, you know who will. Iowa State fans because they might have a Big 12 championship on the line. Yeah, I mean, a few things here real quick. I mean, first of all, I think it was probably the worst Big 12 crowd of the Jerome Tang era. Uh, yeah. Cole, can I can I say what yeah. you told me when you were sitting down? This will probably put it in perspective because I was like, man, I don't remember it being this bad for a lot of the conference student crowds. Yeah. Bruce and yeah. Cole looked at me as like, this is a Woolrich student crowd. Yeah, I mean, it brought back uh, I sat down with you, Drew, and others before tip over on Press Row to hang out for a little bit and uh, brought back memories of when I was a student because it was around 30 minutes before tip and the first 10 rows were filled in the two center sections and that was it. And and that's what it would have been like when I went to games, uh, you know, in Jim Woldridge's first year. And then obviously I did have the good fortune of going to college during Bob Huggins and Frank Martin first couple of years as well. But, you know, that's just kind of what I grew up with. And so... I just hope everybody recognizes that this isn't like some 10 and 17 basketball team. It's a team that's 17 and 11 and they keep perspective. It's a team that I expect to be tied for seventh in the big 12 standings after uh, the next couple of days with the way things shake out in the league out in the toughest league in America where there's 14 teams and you'd be right in the middle of the pack. And so I just don't want like entitlement to set in or anything like that. Yes, we expect to win. I expect drum tank to take this team to the NCAA tournament every year. Those are my expectations. Um, you know, he's raised the bar. And so, yes, this has been a little bit of a disappointing season, obviously frustrating at times, but they're 17 and 11. They've got a shot at the NCAA tournament. 
I'm fine with what Jerome Tang said. It didn't bother me at all. I know it bothered some people, rub people the wrong way. I get that perspective too, but he's trying to change the culture here and he wants it packed game in and game out. And that's fine with me by challenging people. Nobody really seemed to have a problem when Bob Huggins challenged the fans in his only year in Manhattan. I mean, you'll remember that, John. He, he Game in and game out, especially early on, he was trying to change the culture and constantly challenging them and calling them out on post-game radio and his press conferences. And the fans showed up and uh, rose to the challenge as the season went on. But so I, I don't have an issue with it. I get like there's Monday challenges with a 6 p.m. tip. You know, people, a lot of people have to drive a great distance, but the students are right there. So, you know, it was disappointing the number that showed up. Hopefully they show up, you know, for the Iowa State game, even though spring break aside. So I get the frustration. I mean, I'll also point out, though, like the student attendance last night, the number of students there is still more than like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Texas, even have for their capacity. How many how many Baylor have shown up a lot of those years when Jerome Tang was in Waco, right? I mean, so I yes. I just Huggins did it, and Huggins also wanted a clip that year that K State hadn't experienced in a long time. So that that comes with it. Last year, Jerome Tang did it, and he wanted a clip that K State hadn't experienced in a little while. It's a bit. I think the difference here. I'm just explaining why you're getting this from the fans. You can say spoiled, entitled, whatever, but it is just kind of a reality. Again, I would say at 90 percent of places across the country, they're not winning at the clip that they won at last year. And the coach came in and told them expect to win and. Don't storm the court because we expect to win. We expect to win those games. And they had lost seven of nine before last night. Well, look again, Jerome Tang doesn't care. And he should do that if he thinks that's the way to go. And generally, he's been right on these things. So what the hell do I know? But I'm just, I'm going to cut the students a little bit more slack than I think some people are on this. That's that's just where where I fall on it. I would cut them more if, if it was just not as abysmal as it was. And I would also cut them a bit more if that was to turn out for the BYU game when you're five and eight in the Big Twelve, I get Saturday versus Monday, whatever. But there was more there for the Saturday BYU game when they're five and eight. Then they win that over a top twenty-five team, and all of a sudden you're six and eight with a great opportunity to seven eight in the Big Twelve, and now you're on Joe Lenardi's first four out or next four out, next four right. out, yeah. yeah, next four out. Which you win sat- since uh, Saturday at Cincinnati, then you're probably on first four out, right? And then you beat Iowa State, then maybe you're in. And you just can't avoid uh, disaster in Kansas City. All, all I'm saying is, like, it's weird to me. And I, look, opponent maybe, right? Top 25 team versus last place team I get. But, man, the stakes were higher for Kansas State on, on Monday than they were Saturday, technically. I mean, look, K-State students are great. Uh, K- they pack the football stadium. And for the most part, they're great at basketball. And they're allotted more tickets than almost any any team in America or any school in America a lot. So there's a lot of seats to fill. Jerome Tang, to be clear, was not really threatening last night to take away student seats. What they do is when they don't claim the certain number of tickets, they open them up and sell them to GA. And that's what he was saying, in my opinion, that they would have to sell them to general admission and open them up if they don't claim a certain number. And so I uh, I didn't have an issue with it. I still think the students are great. And I also think Jerome Tang just recognizes, especially with this team, you know, they need every edge they can get. And a packed Bramlage Coliseum gives them that edge, gives them a lift that they need um, to get over the hump. Because look at this team. They beat the number 13, number 14, and number 15 teams in the net. Baylor, Houston, and Kansas State have the most top 25 net wins in Big 12 play. You know, K-State has some of the highest profile wins in the league and league play specifically. And that's largely because of the home court advantage that Kansas State creates and that they have and everybody knows how hard it is to win on the road in this league. So they're just trying to get as many advantages as they can get. And I'm not trying to be preachy. I'm probably going to come off this way and it's fine. Um, everyone can hate me for it. And I, and I know hindsight's 2020 and you have a, a point in the year where you lose seven of eight, seven to nine, whatever. But like, let's, let's say they do finish the conference record nine and nine. Right. Um, that would be a, think an overall record of 19 and 12 right cool if they won 99 so like just like think about it from this perspective i guess what if you finish the year uh right after you, you contend for a big 12 title for the, for most of the year and go to the elite eight you go 19 and 12 9 and 9 and beat ku and for some people that's still not enough 
that, that's a little wild to me. And in like, a year that you lost two like, of your better players. Right. And, and you're, you're with 11 scholarship players down two parts. I'm just saying, what if this is the worst year? You're really going to throw a fit and, and like just kind of be out on a team that goes 19 and 12, 99 and beats KU. Like people have always said for the most part, like just in your down years, be not terrible and beat KU. And this is exactly what that is. I think I think that's I think that's fair. I would just also again to to defend and play devil's advocate a little bit. Say I don't think it's that people are like thumbing their nose at this team. I think it's just hey man, it's Monday night at six o'clock and they're playing West Virginia. Like I I've got schoolwork going. I've got other things and other priorities will start to win. I don't think it's like hey screw this team. I think it's I've got other priorities pulling at me because I I I myself. But I've seen a lot of, I hate this team. This team's not fun to watch. This team's not any good. And okay, well, I mean, again, yeah, okay. But, 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 I'm just saying, I don't think that, I don't think that's the students. I know. I don't think that's the students. We go back and look at our messages. Like, there's probably stuff along those lines, and we lose perspective is what I'm saying. Well, in the heat of the moment in a game, yes, absolutely. But, you know, I can take a step back and, you know, hey, it's fine. Um yeah, look, I think everything's going to be okay, and look, I will, just to finish closing, closing thought here, the overall perspective about where this team is and the point that you guys are making about what they are after losing Glover and Tomlin this year, totally, I mean, like, I love Jerome Tang and believe in that man so much that I would definitively say I think this will be his worst year at K-State, easily. I don't think they will ever have a stretch of bad luck like they did personnel-wise with this. And, uh, yeah, so I believe that a thousand percent uh, to my core. And it's been it's been a great job by them to, to get them in position here to still be playing for the tournament down the stretch. So, yes, and you are absolutely correct. He knows exactly how much of a difference that home crowd can make in an Iowa State game that you think they don't want for a couple different reasons, not just the NCAA tournament. I think there's a couple different reasons they may really want to win that game. Uh, and that and that I certainly will coming up. So yeah, fair I, fair enough. I would just say like I expected to drop. I guess I just, I just don't expect it to drop that much. The decline being that much as it was last night. Well, there's a couple games in between the Iowa State game. We've got to go to Cincinnati, and then you've got uh, the game in Lawrence coming up next week. So we'll see what happens. Should be a huge one against Cincinnati uh, on Saturday. We appreciate Holiday Distillery. We appreciate our friends at Homefield Apparel. We appreciate Nick Springer behind the scenes. For Derek Young and Cole Manbeck, I'm John Kurtz. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.